Just a quick note before we begin. You'll notice this episode is a little longer than our usual installments. This is necessary when you're tackling a complex and contentious topic like school consolidation. We considered dividing this podcast into multiple episodes, but ultimately decided that the story deserved to be told all at once. So we hope you'll hang in until the end. We promise it'll be worth it. Now, on with the episode. It was one of the most contentious and some might say traumatic events to impact public education in the state of Delaware. It was the passage of the Education Advancement Act in June of 1968. Although the title of the legislation sounds rather benign, its impact was anything but. Essentially, the act called for the consolidation of numerous small local school districts across Delaware. At the time, it reduced the total number of school districts in the state by more than half. Locally, the impact was far-reaching and led to the birth of the Indian River School District in 1969. I'm Dave Mall, and in a moment, we'll celebrate the Indian River School District's 50th birthday by reliving the events that led to its creation as the largest school district in Sussex County and one of the largest in the state of Delaware. We'll also talk to a few people who were either students or school administrators back then and get their reflections on this tumultuous time. This is the IRSD Spotlight. Part 1. History Lesson The Indian River School District came into existence on July 1, 1969. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were only a few weeks away from walking on the moon, and that August, more than 400,000 people would descend on a dairy farm in upstate New York for the Woodstock Music Festival. But locally, residents were coming to grips with a new school district that was formed through the consolidation of four small local districts, Georgetown, Millsboro, Indian River, and Selbyville. Indian River was formed a year earlier through the consolidation of the John M. Clayton and Lord Baltimore districts, so the new Indian River district was essentially a merging of five local districts. But the story of school consolidation actually goes back several years prior to the actual mergers and also includes some measures related to school desegregation. On October 6, 1962, a referendum was held seeking voter approval for the consolidation of the Lord Baltimore, John M. Clayton, and Selbyville school districts. The measure failed by a two-to-one margin, with Selbyville being the only community to approve the plan. The referendum failed by wide margins in the Lord Baltimore and John M. Clayton districts. A second referendum on the merger was held three and a half years later on April 16, 1966. Again, the measure was defeated, but this time by a much narrower margin. The merger was actually approved in the John M. Clayton and Selbyville communities, but was defeated by a mere 16 votes in Lord Baltimore. Also in 1966, Delaware took its first step toward school consolidation when Governor Elbert Carville appointed Chief Justice Daniel Walcott to head up a commission to study Delaware's school system. The subsequent Walcott report asserted that the education system's most important need was the reorganization of school districts. This report became the forerunner of the Education Advancement Act. 
Then, in June of 1967, the William C. Jason Comprehensive High School in Georgetown was closed in response to federally mandated school desegregation. It was the last school in Delaware for African-American students. After the closing, Jason students attended public schools throughout Sussex County. The Jason Building is now part of the Delaware Technical and Community College campus in Georgetown. In late 1967, the concept of school consolidation began to gain a foothold locally when the Lord Baltimore and John M. Clayton districts petitioned the State Board of Education for a merger. The State Board granted the request pending the approval of a referendum in both districts. That referendum was approved on January 6, 1968, and the two districts merged to form Indian River High School on July 1, 1968. It was the first consolidated school in the state of Delaware. 1968 also saw the introduction of the Education Advancement Act in the Delaware General Assembly. The act called for the consolidation of smaller schools and the reduction of the total number of school districts in the state from 50 to between 20 and 25. The act was signed into law by Governor Charles Terry on June 3, 1968. Public education in Delaware would never be the same. Initially, the Georgetown and Millsboro school boards expressed a preference for a five-way merger with the Lewis, Rehoboth, and Milton districts. Indian River, meanwhile, supported a merger with Selbyville. But the State Board of Education had other ideas. On October 23, 1968, it reorganized Delaware schools into 22 districts as required by the Education Advancement Act. The proposed District 1 consisted of Indian River, Selbyville, Millsboro, and Georgetown. Millsboro and Georgetown eventually endorsed the District 1 consolidation plan, but cited the need for two high schools in the new district. The Indian River and Selbyville districts, however, opposed their forced consolidation with Georgetown and Millsboro and petitioned for a hearing before the State Board of Education. That hearing was held on December 18, 1968, but it was to no avail. In January 1969, the State Board denied the appeal of Indian River and Selbyville to consolidate only with each other and not with Millsboro and Georgetown. It further announced a final plan to consolidate Indian River, Selbyville, Millsboro, and Georgetown into one district. On February 10, 1969, the first meeting of the interim board of District 1 was held. The board consisted of all members of the former component district boards and had approximately 25 members. It was at this meeting that the Selbyville and Indian River boards announced their intention to pursue every legal and legislative action necessary to stop their consolidation with Millsboro and Georgetown. The board further approved a motion to petition the state board on the procedures for holding a referendum to divide the new consolidated school district. Later that month, the Georgetown and Millsboro boards passed their own motions to seek a referendum to divide the new district. State Secretary of Education Kenneth Madden replied that such a referendum could be held, but only after July 1, 1969, meaning the new consolidated district would have to operate for at least one year. Even with referendum approval, the district could not be divided until July 1, 1970 at the earliest. On March 18, 1969, the second meeting of the interim board of District 1 was held. This was described as a stormy session, although the possibility of holding a referendum to divide the new district appeared to have been tabled permanently. 
A report from Chief School Officer James M. Proudfoot urged the interim board to band together to make every effort to be the top school district in Delaware. He advocated for offering educational opportunities that were on the same level as those provided to students in Newcastle County. He added that, quote, a better education for our boys and girls must be our first objective. After the interim board meeting and Mr. Proudfoot's report, there appeared to be no further opposition to consolidation among the component districts, and the newly named Indian River School District officially went into existence on July 1, 1969. The merger affected approximately 6,000 students from Selbyville to Georgetown and led to the creation of two district high schools, Indian River and Sussex Central. That was 50 years ago. Today, Indian River is the fifth largest of the state's 19 school districts based on enrollment. Geographically, it is the largest non-technical district in the state, covering 360 square miles. Its staff includes more than 1,500 employees and nearly 900 teachers. It wasn't an easy transition for those involved, but in the end, the dedication and forethought of board members and administrators made Indian River what it is today, one of the finest public school systems in the state of Delaware. Part 2. The Students Consolidation had a profound impact on the 6,000 students that comprised the new Indian River School District. The building that housed the former Georgetown School became Sussex Central High School, while the former John M. Clayton Building in Frankfurt became Indian River High School. The Selbyville and Millsboro Buildings became middle schools, and the Lord Baltimore Building became an elementary school. While high school students from Georgetown and John M. Clayton were not required to change school buildings after consolidation, others from Millsboro, Lord Baltimore, and Selbyville did move to new schools in 1968 and 1969. Current Indian River Board of Education member Jim Hudson was a 1971 graduate of Sussex Central High School. He previously attended the Georgetown School before consolidation took place before his junior year of high school. He remembers it as a mostly positive experience. I think one of the big things that had happened two years before consolidation uh, when I was going in ninth grade was um, integration of the schools. The Jason High School came over and joined Georgetown High School. That was a whole new set of friends. And then consolidation brought a whole lot of other opportunities to make new friends. Um, I, I remember it as a, as a good time uh, meeting new people. I think probably... For the Georgetown students, it was probably easier um, because we were still going to the same school. The same school I went to in 10th grade at Georgetown High School was the same school I was going to as 11th grader at Sussex Central High School. Probably easier for us for that transition. But as far as meeting, I've said this before, meeting new students, um, meeting, making new friends, um, it was a smooth transition. I, I do not remember any negative feelings when this happened for me. He noted the contentious atmosphere surrounding consolidation in the community didn't reach through the doors of Sussex Central High School. 
I mean, I heard stories that maybe some people were not happy, but it never was anything that entered the school atmosphere. Uh, I, I felt as though it was a very easy transition. Uh, things just seemed to flow along. And I think that's a credit to, you know, not only the, um, the students, but also the, uh, the administration, the teachers, all trying to make sure that everybody felt welcome. Mr. Hudson's life goals were simple in those days. He wanted to be an elementary school teacher and the baseball coach at Sussex Central High School. He was able to achieve both goals. He served as a fifth grade teacher in the district for many years before moving into administration as a principal and assistant principal. He also spent 15 years in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s as either the head coach or an assistant coach for the Sussex Central baseball team. In those roles, he helped guide some of the best teams in school history. But more on that later. Jackie Owens Wilson moved to Delaware from Greenville, South Carolina in 1967 and entered the John M. Clayton School as a 10th grader. She was immediately taken by the small size of her class, which only had about 50 students. But things would soon change. I was a student. My family moved to uh, this area in 1967. Uh, uh, my dad was Jack Owens and uh, when we started the Southern Delaware campus, of the Owens campus of Del Tech. And I can remember walking into John M. Clayton High School as a 10th grader and realizing I was going to have 50 students in my class, coming from a system where I was going to have 500 students in my class. And I was kind of excited in the fact that, well, I would know everyone. And more, I thought more opportunities because there's only 50 students. And I had been in a very competitive environment. My dad and mom worried about the availability of resources, academic programs. They were educators, and so my dad worried a lot about that. But I ended up loving it. I made a lot of friends and then started the conversation about, oh, we're going to merge two other school systems with John M. Clayton. And so students became anxious, a little worried. They'd always, most of these students had started kindergarten together and gone all the way through. Now we're 10th graders and we're thinking about bringing the schools that were their competition. Lord Baltimore was a big basketball competitor. And then Selbyville, you know, with football. And so students at John M. Clayton were a little worried about that. I don't think I was as worried because I wasn't quite as tied to that being in that school. But my husband, my now husband of 47 years, uh, was at Lord Baltimore. And he and I have had many conversations about how angry he was that he had gone to Lord Baltimore since kindergarten. Now you're asking him to leave and come to John M. Clayton. Uh, even though it wasn't going to be called John M. Clayton, it was going to be called Indian River School District. So. He, I think one of the nice things and the smart things the board did at that time was they brought one school in at a time. They didn't do all three of the, of the at that time, individual small districts. They brought Lord Baltimore. And so, you know, now we became a, a class of 100. And then the third year, 1970, the first year of the first, you know, grad, you know graduating class of all three, uh, they brought uh, Selbyville. And it was a, really a time of trying for three, you know, three groups of students to try to learn to get along and to make friends and to kind of get over that, well, in my old school, now it's our school. In 1968, Jackie's junior year, John M. Clayton merged with Lord Baltimore to form Indian River High School. By the beginning of her senior year in 1969, Indian River had merged with Selbyville. 
In just two years, the size of her high school class had tripled. She remembers the issue being contentious in the community. Oh, I remember it is because we had these conversations at our dinner table as kids. You know, I was, you know, I was 16 years old, so I remember those conversations with my parents. And my dad thought it was a very smart decision. My dad and mom did because they thought there'll be more access to resources, you know, more programs, you know, uh, recruiting, you know, bringing the best teachers from all through three of the schools to the high school so you can have, you know, more choices. And so my parents thought it was a great idea. I don't think it was uh, perceived that way from everyone because one of the wonderful things about Indian River and this community is is there really the school was the center of all activity. So if you were from Ocean View and Millville, Bethany area, you know, Lord Baltimore was where you went for everything. It, you know, not only did you have the acad- the academic programs there, but you had chorus and band programs. You had athletics. Uh, the Lions Club was you know part of that whole community. So the school was where everyone went. You know, and so now you're pulling those kids out of their community and you're moving them, even though it's only, what, six or seven miles to to a, a 15 or 16 year old. That seemed like, oh, no, you're sending me to, you know, to, into with the enemy. Uh, but the great thing is the friendships that came, you know, some of the friendships, you know, like I wouldn't have met my husband probably. Uh, we were high school sweethearts. Uh, and I probably wouldn't have met him because he was Ocean View, and I kind of hung out with the kids from the Dagsboro, Frankfurt area. So it was contentious, and there was lots of table talk around lots of, uh, you know, fa- around families about why in the world are they doing this to us. Yeah. So what was it like to have so many new classmates seemingly overnight? It, it really was, it was very noticeable because actually, you know, you know, 50 kids in a class, it was really a very small school. And remember, those schools were, K, you know, K-12. So you, so now you've moved the elementary and middle schools out of there. So really, as far as student capacity, probably it was about the same size. But now it's all big people. It's all 15 to 17-year-olds. And so there was certainly a different feel about it. But I think there was a lot of energy around it. I mean, I don't remember, you know, big arguments or fights. I, I do remember hearing many of the students say, I wish I was back at my other school. So I think there was always some of the students who really longed for being back at their school because it was comfortable. This was change. Uh, and But I think the, the teachers did a very, very good job. And I can remember that so well, some of the teachers um, really doing a great job of trying to make us all feel comfortable. I think the teacher I remember the most was the librarian, uh, Elias Tingle, who was the librarian. So he saw all the kids in the school, and he did such a good job of when he saw kids that were a little disturbed by this or angry, he made everybody feel like this is our school. You know, it's not John M. Clayton student school. It is Lord Baltimore. It is Selbyville. Jackie credits the teachers and staff for helping foster a sense of school spirit among students who are being thrust into a revamped public education system. At first, it did take some. T- it did take some time to get that school spirit, and this is where I really do think that the 
the teachers did a really good job but you know and particularly those teachers who were teaching like band music who were seeing all the students is putting together a lot of activities i can remember the first homecoming which had to be hard for the students from lord baltimore because now you have the homecoming and it's indian river homecoming but they have to remember just because those of us who went to john m clayton were in the same building we were sharing our building with people who were coming from our competition. So I think that there was a little bit of, um, maybe a little bit of anxiety, but I think the teachers did a great job. I just remember that so well. And you know, when you're 16 years old, the opportunity to make new friends, um, I can just remember making so many new friends. Uh, Some of them who are my friends today who probably I wouldn't. So um, again, I think just, I want to give all credit to the teachers who, who really had to make it work. While Jackie never felt resentment at how consolidation dissolved the old community school model, it took a while for some of her classmates to get used to the new arrangement. I didn't feel real resentment, but I will tell you some of my friends did. Some of my friends did say, I was, you know, I had friends like my husband certainly felt it. He and I, and we, it's funny that even this many years later, we still talk about the resentment he had. And Dave, this is a really funny thing. I was class president and I can remember talking about how the, the classes were going to be bringing their, you know, dues with them. And I can never forget going to the principal of, at that time, John M. Clayton, and saying to him, I'm understanding that they're spending all their money at Lord Baltimore and Selbyville is spending all their money because they're not going to come and bring their dues that they had say, you know, saved for field trips and for their class senior trip. They're not going to bring it to John M. Clayton and let us use their money. And so I can remember the principal at that time saying, well, I guess you'll just have to spend your money too. <laughs> and so everybody starts at ground zero with our money. And you know, that's what we did. It was trying to let go of those things that made us independent, you know, school systems. Now you're going to come together, start at ground zero, and it'll be all our money. And so, but I remember that there were a lot of students that were upset that they had to leave the school they'd been in for so many years. It was hard. I mean, I had not been here as long, so I guess I didn't have that long history, although I felt right at home at John M. Clayton. I made great friends. Um, but the change, I think, was a good change because of just because I think it brought so many more students to interact with. After graduating from Indian River High School in 1970, Jackie gave a large portion of her life to the Indian River School District. She went to work for the district in 1972 as a part-time secretary and part-time paraprofessional. From there, she became a teacher, reading specialist, assistant principal, and principal before leaving with 28 years of service to the district. She is now a faculty member at the University of Delaware, where she trains school principals and superintendents as part of the doctorate program. But she remains proud of what the Indian River School District has become during the past 50 years. 50 years later, when I look at the transformation of the Indian River School District, I think it's worked out just extraordinarily well. Uh, I think you have a very cohesive system with high quality um, administrators and teachers and huge parental involvement. I mean, all you have to do is go to a school event, to a concert, or go to a game, and you see parents there in force supporting. But even um, for academic programs, you know, you have a community that really supports the school. So I think any River has been fortunate. 
uh, to have continuity of leadership over a long number of years, strong leadership uh, in their superintendents and their district office staff. And so the district has done very, very well. I mean, all you have to look at is the accomplishments of this district. And of course, I'm an educator, so I pay attention to that. And, but I've had my children went to this district and got a wonderful education, went on to college and have been highly successful in their jobs. Uh, and I have grandchildren who go uh, to who are in the Indian River School District. So I'm proud of this district. I'm proud that I worked here. Uh, I'm proud that, uh, you know, my grandchildren uh, are going here now. I think you have really, really, um, the changes that have happened in 50 years really are um, extraordinary. Things also worked out well for Jackie's father. Jack Owens relocated his family to Delaware in 1967 after being recruited to set up the new Sussex County campus of Delaware Technical and Community College. The college set up shop in the building that previously housed the William C. Jason Comprehensive High School in Georgetown. Mr. Owens spent more than 30 years as president of the facility and helped it grow into a first-rate educational institution. Today, the Sussex County campus bears his name and is known as the Dell Tech Owens campus. Part 3, the father of the Indian River School District. If anyone could be described as the father of the Indian River School District, that person would certainly be James M. Proudfoot. Mr. Proudfoot was the first district superintendent beginning in 1969, and he served in that post until his retirement in January of 1984. A native of West Virginia, Mr. Proudfoot moved to Delaware in 1951 and was a science teacher for 10 years before being named superintendent of the Millsboro School District in 1962. When school consolidation was mandated in 1968, Mr. Proudfoot was chosen as the chief school officer of Consolidated District 1, which encompassed the Selbyville, Indian River, Millsboro, and Georgetown districts. In this post, he guided what would eventually become the Indian River School District through a very turbulent time. Mr. Proudfoot was a reserved, private man who was frequently described as a man of few words. But his words carried great weight, and he was one of the most respected educators in the state of Delaware. One of the people who knew Mr. Proudfoot best was Everett Toomey, who came to the Indian River School District in 1970 and spent more than 30 years serving the district as a principal, assistant principal, central office administrator, and board of education member. During his career, Mr. Toomey had the distinction of being the principal of all four secondary schools in the district. He remembers the respect Mr. Proudfoot commanded in the district's early years. Mr. Proudfoot was, was I think, deeply respected by the administrators. He, we, there was a group of young administrators, and I mean young 20s and early 30s, that he called his young Turks. And um, we, there was a lot of uh, ambition and energy in that group, and it was sometimes all he could do just to keep us focused on the same path. But he was effective at doing that, and he would make sure that you, you didn't get um, too far off, off path. Um, and he was able to do that without, without com completely deflating you and, uh, keep you and have you understand the mission. 
Like many, he remembers Mr. Proudfoot as a man of few words, but also as someone who had high expectations for educators. Typically, Mr. Proudfoot, if he was going to ask you a question, already knew the answer. So he would, he would ask you the question, uh, you would talk, he would listen, uh, he would let you have your say, and then he would have his response. And it, it would, didn't have to be a dissertation, but it was very clear when he made his response what was going to happen at that point. He expected people to, to pull together in the district, to not undermine it, and his, his actions were designed to achieve that. In 1969, James Proudfoot was charged with a very difficult task, overseeing the consolidation of five local school districts into one. James Marvel's Indian River School District History of Consolidation contains a letter from Mr. Proudfoot to the Interim School Board in March of 1969 in which his frustration with the process is evident. Noting how what was essentially a five-district merger would impact 6,000 students, 260 teachers, 10 school buildings, and approximately 14,000 local residents, Mr. Proudfoot stated, quote, we are not sure that even with the wisdom of Solomon and the patience of Job will we ever be able to merge the Indians, the rebels, the devils, and the Golden Knights. Those, of course, were the mascots of all the schools being consolidated. But it was another report to the board in March of 1969, which is also contained in Marvel's history, that may have saved the entire process. In this letter, he initially alludes to the desire by some to split the new district in two with Georgetown and Millsboro forming one district and Indian River and Selbyville the other. He urges board members to put aside their differences and do what's best for students. It seems to me the best statement I could make is, a better education for our boys and girls must be our first objective, he wrote. Mr. Proudfoot goes on to state that he had worked for 20 years to improve educational opportunities locally and that students in Sussex County were not being offered the same opportunities as those in Newcastle County. He wrote, quote, It makes me sick to see what is being done in other school systems in the state compared to what is happening in schools in Sussex County. This difference is unacceptable. We must make every effort to be the top school district in the state. He goes on to say that if this was going to happen, the board needed to get on with the business of running the new consolidated school district. While complete agreement on all issues was unlikely, board members needed to take an objective look at all recommendations before making a final decision. We cannot do these things by postponing from year to year, waiting on construction, or using some other excuse, he said. Temporary postponement has a tendency to become permanent. With that, the board banded together and accepted the new district, which would eventually be named the Indian River School District. It came into existence on July 1, 1969, and was one of the few districts in the state to have two high schools. Indian River High School was placed in the John M. Clayton Building in Frankfurt, while Sussex Central High School took up residence in the Georgetown School Building on Market Street. Everett Toomey noted that Mr. Proudfoot's job during this time was exceedingly difficult. Uh, Mr. Proudfoot had probably as difficult a job as there was in Delaware in um, in the late 60s, early 70s. Districts uh, were consolidated by state law and um, it combined five small districts. All of those, of course, had local control before that 
and they all were forced to come together. Mr. Proudfoot had the foresight to understand the purpose of the law uh, and what was entailed in uh, consolidating all these personalities and um, individual local issues. It was a very difficult job. It was a job that probably none of us would want unless it was forced on us. But he had, he had the pers perspective, he had the vision to understand why it was being done. He had the wisdom to be able to convince other people that there was no need to, to oppose this, there was no need to fight it. It was here and we had to make the best of it. He understood um, what it meant. Uh, each action that he took as a superintendent was a precedent for some other action. So if he gave chalk to Lord Baltimore Elementary School, uh, there were going to be other elementary schools that wanted the same amount of chalk. So he, and he was excellent at understanding um, the, the concept of precedent and was able to use that very effectively. He, he didn't do things that would cause dissension or discord in the district. And count Mr. Toomey among the many who have praised Mr. Proudfoot's foresight during this process. Mr. Proudfoot did his homework. He knew what was going on in the district. He understood what individual board members wanted. And he was able to put that together uh, in a way that led without crushing. And, and I think his leadership was designed to simply accept the fact that we all have things we don't like about consolidation. We have things we don't like about this district, but it doesn't make any difference. We have, we have the district and we either, have, we either can make it worse or we can make it better. The good thing about Jim Proudfoot that was always there was he was focused on boys and girls and he called them boys and girls. Whenever you went in to, to Mr. Proudfoot to ask for funding or some action to be taken, he would want to know what, what is the impact going to be on the boys and girls. And he, he preached that enough that everybody started thinking like that. And it was the kind of thing that, that was like a guiding principle. Whenever you ask a question or had a proposal, he needed to know how this affects the boys and girls. Mr. Toomey believes James Proudfoot was the right man to guide the Indian River School District through the controversial and contentious process of consolidation. I just think he was the right man at the right time. He was, he was visionary, and as Charles Mitchell said, and, and I had a lot of respect for Charles Mitchell too, uh, they both understood. They had a very level personality. They understood the bigger problems, um, and they, they worked to make sure that we kept moving forward and not breaking down into little fiefdoms and the balkanization of the Indian River School District. So he was the right man at the right time. There's no question. I can't imagine anyone that I knew that could have done a better job. The, the consolidation of the, the five smaller districts into one could have been a disaster. I think Jim Proudfoot gets a lot of response or a lot of credit for pulling it all together, setting a direction, and having people meet the expectations that he had. He, it would have been difficult to find anyone better suited for this job than he was. He, he, had, he had intelligence, he had perspective, um, he was not seeking of fame or glory, um, he was 
he was very much a guy who was here uh, for the good of the students and to make this school district work despite all the obstacles. And keep in mind, a couple of years before this um, was the desegregation. And so all this was rolled into sort of multiple problems in his early, early superintendency. And he handled it with, with professionalism and a steady hand. He rarely got emotionally uh, upset. He was, he was very visionary. And uh, I mean, he, he kept his eyes focused on what he saw as the goal. He understood that if we don't pull this together, I mean, it's been legislatively mandated. We are going to do this. We don't have to like it. We we can do anything we want. But our job is to pull together and make this work. Anything less is going to be self-defeating. And so he took that perspective and he he stayed on that course. No matter what, no matter what the petty issues would come up at a board meeting, he stayed the course with a vision toward what he saw as successfully pulling this district together. For the next 15 years, Mr. Proudfoot guided the Indian River School District with a firm and steady hand. It was invaluable, David. I, yeah. I think, I think if, if he hadn't had the steady hand and had the, the perce perception, perspective, that he brought to the table, uh, this district could have been a disaster. It could have taken uh, a decade longer to really get it under control than it did. When the district was celebrating its 40th birthday in 2009, I had the privilege of speaking with Mr. Proudfoot about his recollections of school consolidation. Like most, I found him to be reserved and soft-spoken, but his insights were fascinating nonetheless. During our conversation, he repeated a line he had spoken to many people over the years. I think I'm the luckiest man in the world, he said. But what did he mean by that? He knew, he, he knew what the problem was, and he knew that he was able to deal with it. I think, I think he understood what his strengths were. I think he understood what the challenges were, and they were such a match that he knew that he was the right guy at the right time and he felt lucky to be that. And Mr. Toomey added there was another side to James Proudfoot that not many got to see. Despite what some people may, um, may perceive, Jim Proudfoot did have a sense of humor. He, di he didn't show it much, uh, but in, in a small setting with, um, with some of us, he could smile and he, he could have a good time. So Jim Proudfoot was more than just um, a stony-gazed, uh, uh, very directed, self-directed individual. He was a he was a guy that appreciated the moment, um, and he really he really at times could be very enjoyable to be around. But more than all, we were lucky to have Jim Proudfoot. Mr. Proudfoot touched on many topics during our conversation ten years ago. He noted that despite the controversy, he never felt the district was going to be divided. He praised the boards of the consolidated districts for pulling together to make the new district work. He also noted that while many communities were upset at losing their schools, having two high schools in the new district helped many accept the merger. Mr. Proudfoot was reluctant to accept any credit for the formation of the district, instead giving most of the accolades to the Board of Education. 
James Proudfoot passed away on May 16, 2011 at the age of 89, but his legacy lives on, not just in the Indian River School District, but in the entire state of Delaware. After his passing, Superintendent Susan Bunning, who is now Delaware's Secretary of Education, perhaps summed it up best. She stated, Mr. Proudfoot did the job with grace, patience, and persistence. Thousands of district residents owe him a debt of gratitude for his dedicated service to our schools. Part 4, Athletics. Delaware School Consolidation also had a profound impact on interscholastic athletics as the number of secondary schools in the state was drastically reduced. In 1969, the Henlopen and Diamond State Athletic Conferences merged to form a larger 14-team Henlopen Conference with two divisions. Locally, Sussex Central was placed in the Northern Division and Indian River in the Southern Division. Indian River School District Superintendent James Proudfoot was named the first president of the expanded Henlopen Conference in 1969. District schools saw immediate success on the athletic field following consolidation. In its first year as a consolidated school in 1968, the Indian River football team won the Henlopen Conference title with a 9-0-1 record. The team recorded seven shutouts and surrendered only 19 points the entire season. After merging with Selbyville in 1969, Indian River won Henlopen Southern Division titles in 1969 and 1970. Sussex Central, meanwhile, won the Northern Division and overall conference football title in 1970 with a 10-0 record. This is generally considered to be one of the greatest teams in school history. Jim Hudson remembers it fondly. And our football team, um, 1970 football team, the following year was undefeated. Mm -hmm. It was it was quite a team. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have there were no playoffs at that. They started playoffs I think the following year, but there were no playoffs at that time. And uh, ten and zero was quite an accomplishment. The state football tournament didn't come into existence until the following year, and Sussex Central had another strong season in 1973, going eight and two, but just missing out on an at-large playoff berth. Despite having some successful teams over the next 27 years. Sussex Central would not secure its first state tournament berth until the year 2000. The district's first state championship came in 1980 and was won by the Indian River High School boys basketball team. The team repeated as state champion in 1981. After consolidation, Indian River boys basketball was one of the district's most successful sports teams. From 1971 through 1998, the Indians won 18 Southern Division titles, six Henlopen Conference titles, and appeared in the state final three times. The other athletic dynasty has been the Sussex Central Wrestling Team, which as of 2019 has won 51 individual state championships. It also captured dual meet state titles in 2008 and 2017. Coach Phil Schulte retired in 2017 with 434 dual meet victories, more than any coach in Delaware history. Phil Schulte was a guest on this podcast in 2017, 
and talked about what it was like to replace Herm Bastianelli, who had coached at Georgetown and Sussex Central since 1960 and was a legendary coach in his own right. How do you how do you follow somebody like Herm Bastianelli? You know, there's nothing more that I could do that, that he did. And uh, when, when they offered me the job, remember Ed Bizarre was the athletic director at the time, he called me. And I said, well, give me a couple of days to think about it. And I remember talking to my parents. And uh, it was a hard decision to make. I wanted to go back to my school, but I knew I could never do what he did. I mean, I think he, his record was 150 and 15, mm-hmm. you know, which is just unbelievable that somebody could coach that many wins with that few losses. And so I uh, sat down with my father, and you know, he said, hey, Phil, you know, if you don't do a very good job, don't worry about it. They'll get rid of you. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, you know, maybe I, I will take a shot. And it's the best decision I ever made. That was in 1976. And over the next 41 years, Phil Schulte would cement his own legacy as one of the greatest wrestling coaches of all time. But perhaps the most dominant sports team in district history was the 1989 Sussex Central baseball team which went 21-0 en route to capturing the state championship. Today, it stands as one of only four teams to go undefeated and win the state title. Coached by Woody Long, the team was inducted into the Delaware Baseball Hall of Fame in 2016 and is considered one of the greatest in the history of Delaware high school baseball. Jim Hudson was an assistant coach for that team and has wonderful memories of that season. They had played together in middle school also and had from what I understand, talking to some of them, I don't think they lost a middle school game. Uh, coming to high school, you know, things get a little a little tougher. Uh, they missed out on the tournament in 88. I think their mindset was we're, we're going to do a whole lot better in 89. Um, and I could tell that from working with them that they had a mindset, this is my focus and this is what I'm doing and this is what we're going to do as a team. There was never – any dissension or what was me I'm not playing or complaining or it was just a wonderful experience and we and I talk about this a lot we'd run the normal practice 3.30 5.30 done gentlemen practice is over nobody would leave so they'd all we want more so we'd be out there another hour voluntary but they were you know it was a voluntary thing you can go. You don't have to stay. It's not going to affect anything we do. They would stay for another hour every night, hit, feel. It was unbelievable. I must have hit. I must have hit ten or twenty thousand ground balls, fly balls. I. It was just nobody wanted. They they knew what they wanted, and it can carried all the way through to the end. Once we got through the first couple of weeks of practice, I'm thinking this this is gonna this is a team that has a shot. The state title came in the midst of what Jim Hudson considers the golden age of Sussex Central Baseball. For Sussex Central Baseball, 1981 to 1990, I, I don't know, you may have heard me say this before, I feel like that was the golden age of baseball for Sussex Central. Um, six times in the, in the Final Four in those ten years. Win a state championship, um, three conference championships. You know, it was just uh, amazing. And, and the competition... Seaford, um, you know, Dover, Cesar Rodney, lots of good competition. And we started, you know, doing um, trips and things like that. And that was 
that was a lot of fun. Other successful teams since consolidation include the Sussex Central softball team, which has captured three state championships, and the Indian River football and boys soccer teams, which have won two each. Of special note is the 2011 Indian River football team that went undefeated, won the Division II state championship, set a school record for most points scored in a season, and defeated every opponent by at least 14 points. And this past December, all of Georgetown and Millsboro celebrated when the Sussex Central football team captured its first state championship with a dominating victory over Silesianum in the state final. So is consolidation good for high school athletics? Yes and no, says Jim Hudson. I think it made the, the teams became much more competitive, obviously, when you're, when you're drawing a couple, three schools together and making one, the, the, uh, the level of competition certainly rises. I think that that also would eliminate the opportunity for some others who wouldn't have had, would have had the opportunity had we not consolidated. Um, I love Georgetown High School. I love Sussex Central. <laughs> um, I obviously I, I was a just a fair athlete. You know, I had more success as a Georgetown High School student than I did as a Sussex Central High School student because of the competition. We had a lot of good players from both Millsboro and Georgetown. But sports did help foster school spirit among the two groups of students who came together to form the new Sussex Central High School. Everybody seemed to get along well. Um, and again, I think, I'll say again, I think it, the sports had a lot to do with that. Um, getting together on that athletic field or on that court and being able to gel and have successful teams. And to understand just how important athletics were in the formation of the new district and how they remained important in the years that followed, one must hear the story of Mr. Hudson's interview for the Sussex Central baseball coaching position in 1981. You mentioned 25 board members. Now, I don't, I don't know when that changed. I, I couldn't tell you. But I do know this, that sports was pretty important to any River School Board, whatever. And when I applied for the baseball job in 1981, I walked in the room, and this was up at the library in Georgetown. There had to be 30 people in there. I don't know how many of them were board members, but I got a question from every one of them. It was unbelievable. This was the baseball coaching job, had to go in front of the school board with all these other people and answer all these questions. That's how serious sports was taken back then. Um, that was pretty amazing to me. I, I, I don't hardly even remember what the questions were, let alone what my answers were, but just seeing all those people, it was, it was uh, pretty astonishing. Jim got the job, along with a lesson on the significant role sports play in the communities of the Indian River School District. Almost immediately upon the Indian River School District's formation in 1969, Superintendent James Proudfoot sent a letter to several other Delaware superintendents seeking guidance on the best model for high schools. 
Specifically, he asked whether it would be better for a district to have one large high school serving approximately 1,800 students or two smaller high schools serving about 900 each. The response from most superintendents was that the one large high school model was best, so the issue was put to district voters in a referendum in December of 1972. The proposal to build one large high school on the Ingram Pond property in Millsboro was soundly defeated. The measure was brought back for a second referendum in November 1973 and was defeated again, this time by an even wider margin. The concept of one large central high school in the district hasn't been seriously considered since. The Indian River School District has undertaken many construction and renovation projects during the past 50 years, but all of the original school buildings from the five consolidated districts, Selbyville, John M. Clayton, Lord Baltimore, Millsboro, and Georgetown, are still in use, as are several other schools constructed in the 1940s and 50s. These buildings stand as a testament to a bygone era in public education and the seismic shift that occurred 50 years ago. School consolidation was a monumental task that required foresight, patience, and sacrifice by hundreds if not thousands of people. Some may consider it a miracle that it happened at all. While consolidation may have been deeply unpopular at the time, it was achieved through the hard work and dedication of a superintendent and 25 board members who, in the end, put their differences aside and worked together for what was best for children. In the matter of a few short months, these individuals had to make extremely difficult decisions regarding current and future classroom space, staff assignments, curriculum, transportation, and operating costs. Their efforts in taking on such a gargantuan task cannot be minimized. There have been a few bumps in the road along the way, but today Indian River proudly stands as one of the finest public school systems in the state of Delaware. But was consolidation a good thing? For the most part, yes, says Everett Toomey. As you know, there were district or there were um, school districts that were not forced to consolidate. Laurel, Seaford, Milford, for examples, um, and there there were there was a town or two inside the Indian River School District that felt they could have gone it alone, and maybe they could have. But overall, as far as economy of scale, what you can do administratively and financially for all the all the smaller districts, I think far that far outweighs the self-control uh, of being a really small school district and having to compete. Ultimately, no matter what you think, um, no matter how large or small your district is, what you have to do is turn out a quality product, and that is well-prepared students either for college or for the work world. And if you can do that, that's wonderful but it's certainly a lot easier to do and a lot more economical to do in a larger setting than a smaller setting. Mm -hmm. Jackie Wilson agrees. Consolidation was definitely the right thing to do. You know, and, and there's a lot of, you know, I love smaller systems, don't get me wrong. I don't like, look, I, the work I do today nationally, I work with urban systems where there are 220 schools in a district. And it's huge and almost unmanageable. So there's something nice about small systems. But if you're too small, you don't have the resources to provide the students all those kinds of programs and experiences. So to take, you know, pretty much what we had were three, you know, if you think about the southern end of the district, three, three small communities like 
uh, Lord Baltimore, Selbyville, and the Dagsbury area for John M. Clayton, or the northern end of the district, which was the Georgetown, Millsboro, and consolidate them, gave you more, gave students more access to teachers, but also academic programs because at that time recruiting teachers who could teach things like physics or chemistry, particularly in secondary schools, foreign language, was challenging for Sussex County. And so this, and it's putting your money so that you kind of get the idea of where you put, you know, I have a little money, you have a little money, and you have a little money, but when we put it together, we have a lot of money. And so then you share those resources more equitably across the three geographic regions. And so I think Probably as students, we didn't think about it that way, and certainly our parents were thinking, well, you know, we're taxed higher, you know, if we're at the beach than if, you know, you live in, you know, Frankfurt. But I think long term, those board members had to make courageous decisions about what's better in the long run for students, and I think it was a very smart and courageous decision they made. Jackie still marvels at what the boards of the five local school districts were able to achieve during the formation of the Indian River School District. It is amazing. It is an amazing achievement. To get 25 people to agree to anything is almost impossible. So when you think about how long a history Georgetown had, Millsboro had, Selbyville, you know, the Ocean View and Dagsbury areas, they had a long history. Their board members were committed. They they were born and raised in those communities. Now, imagine going to your community that had elected you and now telling them that you're thinking about merging. It could not have been a popular uh, stance to take as a board member at that time. But I think they had they they understood that they had to plan forward. They had to have a vision for where this district was going. And at that time, recognizing that this area was going to grow. Because uh, I know that one of the reasons when my family moved here with Dell Tech was to bring more business here so that graduates of the high school who went off to college came back here for work. So I think, you know, just they were, if you really think about them, they were visionaries thinking about if we want our kids to stay here, to come here to live, to raise their families here, we have to have good schools. And the best way is to put our resources together so that we can provide more for our, for our students. And I think it, it really is amazing what they were able to accomplish um, during that time. In his role as a Board of Education member, Jim Hudson occasionally wonders what it would be like today if the model of smaller community schools still existed. Today, I even think about it when we go through some of the things we're talking about as a school board that, um, you know, wonder what it would be like today if we had Georgetown High School, Millsboro High School, John and Clayton High School, you know, those just just goes through my mind every once in a while. Uh, we've lost that local community, a lot of busing now, um, going from one place to another. I always walk to school <laughs> from first grade to, you know, 12th grade. But, uh, you know, I, I guess it, there's a lot of good things about consolidation. Obviously, the sport, the level of sports is higher. Uh, probably it's it's a lot uh, more efficient to run districts that are bigger. Um, you know, the big question now is should Sussex County or Delaware have so many school districts? Do we have county school districts? Or it's always a question. But sometimes I always, in the back of my mind, wonder what it would be like if we still had those community 
right in that town, that town school. But Mr. Hudson marvels at the diversity of the district and is thankful for the opportunities it has provided him during 40 years as a teacher, coach, administrator, and school board member. It's a large district and the difference between North Georgetown Elementary and Lower Baltimore and all the schools in between are so different. Um, you know, it's just amazing that our schools can be so different in one district, but it, that's diversity, and I, you know that's been a good thing. Obviously, I have nothing but good things to say about any River School District. Um, it's been good to me, uh, teacher, coach, administrator, and now you know trying to get back as a school board member. But um, that's all I ever wanted to be when I was in high school. I wanted to be. This sounds kind of crazy, but I wanted to be an elementary teacher and the Sussex Central baseball coach. Those were my goals. I, I was able to accomplish them and once I got to be an elementary teacher I ran into some pretty good folks, T.A. Fleetwood, Jugart, Charlie Cole, who encouraged me to move into administration and I became interested in that and that was a great move and I'm always thankful that I've been able to be part of Indian River School District. I love teaching fifth grade, I love my kids. When I went to be an administrator Georgetown Elementary split into two. We, we were Georgetown Elementary, North Georgetown. Uh, became assistant principal in North and then became the principal. And the, when I took over as principal, we had the lowest test scores in the district, hands down. <laughs> and within five years, we had really made some progress. The teachers worked extremely hard. I was, again, honored to be part of that team and to work with those people and to be recognized as a superior school and then finally a Blue Ribbon School and a, a National Title I school, that's a proud moment for me. Knowing from where we came from to where we ended up, that was pretty amazing. And the teachers and the students deserve all the credit for that. In her work at the University of Delaware, Jackie Wilson praises the Indian River School District's unwavering commitment to students and uses the district as a shining example of excellence in public education. You know, I think that the people in this district are what make Indian River so wonderful. You know, I'm in and out of schools all the time, but there's a passion and a commitment to doing what's best for kids in the Indian River School District. And all school districts have that, but you really feel it. You know, when I, if, you know, sometimes I go have lunch with my granddaughter at East Millsboro, and when I see, you know, the volunteers that are in the cafeteria, I see the principal, I see the teachers who are, you know, but there's such a caring and support. So many of the people who work in Indian River were students in Indian River. Indian River's done a very good job of uh, getting people to come home and, and, you know, students who went to high school here go off to college and then come back as teachers. Same thing with some of their principals. Many of the principals were students in Indian River. I think that tells something when people uh, are so attached to a system and have such respect for a system that they come back there to work and serve. And so I think it's the people that make this district so wonderful. I work at the University of Delaware now, and I train principals and superintendents. I'm a faculty member uh, in the EDD program, and I have a, a professional development center. So I work in all 19 school districts and probably over half the charter schools. And when I'm teaching, when I'm training, I draw on the experiences I had both as a paraprofessional, a teacher, reading specialist, and an administrator as a principal in any River School District. I use the examples of 
Uh, if I'm talking about school culture, I talk about the culture when I was principal at Lord Baltimore Elementary School. Um, I also talk about my experiences as a student and how important it is uh, when students have to experience change. And I talk about the changes I went through as a student in the University School District. But I also talk about, you know, all those um, experiences of the wonderful educators I've worked with. Uh, and I think my foundation and the, probably the most important part of my career happened right here in this district. So I've always been very proud when I tell people, even when I'm upstate and I'm in a school district, say as far up as Christina or Red Clay School District, and I say, the foundation of my work came in both as a student and both as an employee of the University School District, where I believe uh, students are getting a high quality education. The Indian River School District has steadily grown since its formation in 1969. The initial consolidation of the five school districts impacted about 6,000 students. With the opening of the 2019-2020 school year in September, the district's total enrollment was projected to be nearly 11,000. Nearly every community within the district has experienced tremendous growth with farm fields becoming housing developments and two-lane roads becoming dual highways. It's a far cry from the days when gasoline was 35 cents a gallon and a stamp only cost six cents. So what will the next 50 years bring? Your guess is as good as mine. But as long as everyone in the community continues to have the best interest of our children at heart, Indian River will remain the gold standard for public education in Delaware. I want to thank Jim Hudson, Everett Toomey, and Jackie Wilson for taking the time to share their recollections, insights, and opinions on school consolidation. Information for this episode was also obtained from the archives of the News Journal and from James Marvel's Indian River School District History of Consolidation. Spirit in the Sky was courtesy of Norman Greenbaum and Reprise Records, 1969. IRSD Spotlight is produced by the Indian River School District. Episodes can be accessed through iTunes or by visiting irsd.net and going to the podcast link under the Discover IRSD tab. It is also available through several mobile podcast apps by searching IRSD. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with more great news and information from the Indian River School District. Until then, remember that Indian River truly is a model of excellence.